falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I There's no place I'd ever rather be So falling in love with Jesus Falling in love with Jesus Oh, falling in love I'd ever rather be Sing that one more time Oh, now just falling in love with Jesus And falling in love with Jesus And falling in love with Jesus thing I ever, ever done. And we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. Yes, we need you,
just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And let all God's people praise the Lord. Now shake off those heavy bands. Lift up those holy hands. Let all God's people praise the Lord. Now just Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and let all God's people praise the Lord, and shake off those heavy bands, lift up those holy hands, let all God's people praise the Lord. One more time. Now just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let all God's people just praise the Lord. Now shake up those heavy bands. Lift up those holy hands. Let all God's people praise the Lord. Sing it one more time. And just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let all God's people just praise the Lord. Oh, now just shake off those heavy bands. Lift up those holy hands. Let all God's people praise the Lord. Shake off those heavy Now just shake off those heavy bands. And lift up your holy hands. And let all God's people just praise the Lord. Amen. We'll keep that speed going here just for a bit longer. Let's sing that song, uh, This Is The Day. Now this is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made, that the Lord hath made, and we will rejoice, and we will rejoice, and be glad in it, and be glad in it. Now this is the day that the Lord hath made, we will Rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Now, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made, that the Lord hath made, and we will rejoice. We'll rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. For this is the day that the Lord hath made, and we will rejoice. 
rejoice and be glad in it. For this is the day, this is the day that the Lord had made. Now this is the day, and this is the day that the Lord hath made, that the Lord hath made. And we will rejoice, oh now we will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, and be glad in it. And this is the day that the Lord hath made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. For this is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. This is the day. Now this is the day that the Lord hath made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it, for this is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Amen. We'll slow it down just a bit here, and let's sing that song, White as Snow as we uh, change the order of the service here and go before him with our needs. And white as snow, white as snow, though my sins were as scarlet, Lord, I know, Lord, I know.
may have your seats for just a moment. We just want to remember that the Jacksons are not here this evening. They are away, as well as the Whitlocks and Brother Keith are away. We just want to continue to remember Brother Andy Irish's mother. Um, she is still not doing well. We also have a request here to please remember Brother Roger Clayville. If you would just keep him in, in prayer. Um, I have a request here as well for Sister Jen Irish and the family as well. They are away, I believe. Um, we also want to remember um, Lark uh, Fortner. I believe that's your cousin. Uh, yes, Sister Becky's cousin who uh, earlier this week had cancer treatment, so we just want to remember him. Uh, we also want to remember Sister Angie Pritchard, who is away with uh, Betsy and Jared. Uh, they had their baby, Casper Mead, and uh, she is up there helping them. So just remember her and them in prayer. Um, I believe that is all the requests. Any unspoken requests by the raising of your hand? I know we all do. If you would just stand with me, Brother Mark, if you would just come and pray over these. I'm glad we have somewhere to go. Um, I know that there's a lot of people who don't have a place to go. Uh, in a class I'm in, everyone just, uh, they seem so worried about things that are taking place and just running around and they don't know what to do, but I'm glad we have a place that we can go. Mark, if you would. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it's good again, Lord, to be in your house, Lord. Sometimes it seems like a couple of days from when we were last here seems such a long time, Father. For once we've tasted, Lord, and see that you're good, Lord, we come back for more, Father. And we pray that you will give us that tonight, Lord, through your word. We pray that you will quicken it to us. And Lord, help us to hear with understanding that we may know, Lord, what your will is for us, Father. We pray that you will forgive us of all our sins, Lord, and look at us through your blood, Father. And we thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us, all your blessings, Lord, how you daily shower us with your blessings, Lord. It's more than we deserve, Lord, when we sit down and truly come to him, Father. We thank you, Lord, for your presence, Lord. We desire more and more of it, Father. And as we see, Lord, the days... We're drawing near, Lord, for your coming, Lord, for we see the signs all around. Lord, we pray, help us to, as the scripture says, Lord, guard up our loins, Lord, and uh, be diligent and watching and waiting, Father. Lord, these requests that was made known, Lord, every time we come, Lord, we, we mention them before you, Lord, and we know it's not in vain, for you hear our cries, Lord, and we come on behalf of these requests, these ones that are that have uh, requested prayer, Lord. We pray that you'll go to each one and touch them, Lord, and, and raise them up, Lord. Heal them, Father, for you are the only one that can do that, Lord, and we look to the source of all our healing. Lord, we love you, and we look forward to hearing of the word tonight. Bless your servant as he brings it. Lord, and everything that's done, Lord, we give you glory and praise. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Mark. You may have your seats. 
I have a note here that Eliza and Sophia are singing. So if you want to go ahead and come on up. And just a couple of announcements here. Um, I have an announcement from the deacons here that if anyone can stay afterwards tonight uh, to help set up chairs and tables for this Sunday because we have the dinner uh, for our graduates. So if anyone could please help with that, we would greatly appreciate it.
Thank you for that. Let's sing that song, um, All Hail King Jesus. Again, I'll hail King Jesus as Brother Barry comes.
bright morning star And throughout eternity I'm going to praise Him And forevermore I you're standing tonight, let's have a little word of prayer and then we can take our seats. We mentioned uh, Lark Fortner and uh, Lark is Sister Becky's cousin. We certainly want to remember him in prayer. Uh, just had cancer uh, surgery. They did some biopsies and they were exploring. So we uh, just want to remember him in prayer. He's a young man and uh, we assured him that we would certainly be praying for him. We also want to remember Brother Ron Spencer. Heavenly Father, as we pause in your presence tonight, it is good for us to be able to gather in your name and to be able to trust you, Lord, as we turn our thoughts and our concerns, Lord, to you. You taught us to cast all of our cares upon you. And Lord, that's what we do tonight. We bring these serious needs into your presence and ask and invite you, Lord, to come and just to speak to their hearts, to bring healing to allow healing virtue to flow, and not only to these two uh, young men, Lord, but we also pray for those that are here that need a healing touch, and then for those that are listening. And Lord, there are many needs in our hearts besides just healing. We desire, Lord, that you would uh, just continue, Lord, to minister to our hearts, give us answers to the questions, Lord, that we ask. I pray that you would bring joy where it's needed. Help us, Lord, to focus on the things that matter. Father, we pray for those that are uh, seeking you, Lord, and just desiring a closer walk with you in every way and in every concern and everything that we could ask or think, Lord. You're able to do exceeding and abundantly above all of it. And so we just pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would draw near and help, Lord, in your own special way. We give this service to you tonight in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. Let's take your Bible, if you don't mind, and let's read in... James chapter 1, just so we'll take our reading and put that up front, and uh, then we'll come back to it in just a moment. James chapter 1, good to have all of you here uh, tonight. Good to see the Holloways here. God bless you. Good to see Sister Sarah back and Sister Vasaki. God bless you. Good to have you here, Sister Amber, and uh, each and every one. May the Lord bless you. These are the Traub boys, right? Josiah and Joshua, all the way from Arizona, related to Brother Johnny. God bless you. Good to have you tonight. Single? No? Yes, one is single. All right, just checking, just checking, just checking while you're here. All right, let's take a look in the scripture here and uh, James chapter 1. Verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath. And may the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated. Sister Kristen, I did not forget you. Good to have you here. And Lillian, uh, good to have you here tonight. God bless you and uh, good to see you with us. We... Uh, 
always excited for new life coming into the world. Sister Angela's up in Michigan with uh, Betsy and Jared and the new addition to the family there. Well, let me just make a couple of quick announcements here, and uh, <clears throat> then we'll jump right into it tonight. Uh, registration is open for uh, Bible Way Academy Online, and uh, this is... Um, this brochure is available in the library. If you want more information, you can certainly look it up and uh, explore that. Also, Sister Becky is a, an expert person on this uh, because she teaches for them and has helped organize the school, and so you're certainly welcome to ask questions there. Um, we, have, um, we have a special announcement that I'm going to give for you folks here. Uh, just because you came on Wednesday night, and that is this, that uh, we're going to have a meeting on Labor Day. And Lord willing, uh, we're going to have Brother Paul LaFontaine and Brother John Andes and uh, going to have a special meeting on that weekend. So uh, you can mark that on your calendar. Uh, we're going to do that as well as have the men's meeting uh, at the end of the month on September 24th. And so uh, you want to mark those dates on your calendar for sure. Now, let me just say this, and I, um, <clears throat> just, just for your own information, it's, it's on record then when, when I say it, uh, and that is this, because of the last year and a half or so, a lot of things got canceled, and so this year things are opening up with a vengeance, right? There's all kinds of meetings that are going on and camps that are opened up, and I, I, would, just, I would just say this, and I think I'd be amiss if I didn't say it, being a pastor and a shepherd, uh, all camps are not created equal. Many of them are good. Many of them are edifying. Uh, and if you have a question about any of those or you hear about one that's going up, I'm always glad to, uh, to, to uh, answer questions that you might have about them. Uh, people may feel like, well, hey, er, you know, uh, every camp is great. Every camp is, is fine. And, uh, you know, we're going to send our kids to every one of them. Uh, if you ask me that question, I might answer that a little bit differently. Uh, because even though, uh, you know, it's always good to get together with God's people, uh, sometimes there are camps that are good to go if you're going with your children and, you know, having good accompaniment with them and so forth. But there are, uh, there are many good ones. There's, there's some new ones that are actually starting this year, which are uh, r really exciting, I think really exciting. And there's some that uh, obviously we would support and some that we would encourage folks to go to. And, but ask me, and I'd be glad to help out. I know these brothers who uh, run the camps and churches that are behind them, and I think that's an important thing uh, to know who is behind it because the Bible says that we're to know them that labor among us. And so as a pastor, uh, you, know, we, uh, I, you know, I just have a, a watchful eye. Is that all right? Of course, the decision to go uh, and visit places is entirely up to you because you have the uh, obviously have the freedom to do that. But if you have questions about it, I'm surely uh, uh, interested in helping out to answer any questions or concerns that you might have. This is a brother, Ezekiel Mwanga, who is, uh, lives in Arusha with Brother Elias in Tanzania. And he has been hospitalized with the virus, COVID virus. He's very sick. And they asked us if we would remember him in prayer. And I told Brother Elias we certainly would. Today, uh, I sent over 
because I had the opportunity to do it. Uh, one of the brothers who lives in Zambia had, uh, he, and they've received lots of books in their language, in the Bemba language, and he's been hearing and seeing all these pictures that I've sent out about uh, Bibles being distributed in various third world countries. And we do a lot of, we do printing, obviously, of everything, every sermon, but we also distribute Bibles where we can. And what's really neat is that most countries have a Bible society. Uh, these Bible societies are sponsored generally, and they just provide Bibles for people. That's all they do. They just, they just sell Bibles, different types and uh, different price ranges and so forth. So uh, I usually tap into these Bible societies uh, in, my, uh, in my work and find out who they are, find out what kind of deals they can give and, and so forth. We did that in uh, Zimbabwe, we do it, we've done it in many different countries. And so the brothers in Zambia said, how about us? They said, we, we have no way to purchase a Bible here. Most people in the country don't even own one and uh, have no access to one. And so I found, uh, I got in contact with the Zambian Bible Society, and this morning they responded. They said, we have only have 600 left. And I said, I'll buy them, and sent a wire uh, to the uh, to the Bible Society. And, and the great thing about it is that we can wire directly to them. They take those funds, 100% of that money goes to a purchase of a Bible, $5.58 each for a Bible. And then they deliver them free of charge right to the church that I specify. So I can give them an address and there's nothing charged for that. It's just really great. So on Sunday, I thought it might be nice for us to take an offering uh, to help cover that. The co- total cost was $3,348. And so if you want to give to that, you certainly can. Uh, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll uh, let those believers know over there. They were excited today when I sent over the news that uh, we have that many Bibles coming. And then those are in English. And then we're going to uh, send uh, a, a thousand Bemba Bibles over because they're out of print in those and there's not not as much demand. So when they reprint those, we're going to buy a shipment and have them distributed within the country there. So they were really excited because these people live in a really uh, remote part. They're away from cities. They don't have access uh, to things like that. So for them to know that that many Bibles are on their way, uh, they're really excited about that. So if you want to uh, have a part in that, uh, we'll we'll do that Sunday. We'll just you can just mark it on your uh, on the, the envelope there and just mark it for Vision Books and put you can put Zambia there if you like and we'll make sure it gets to uh, to that to that need. <clears throat> we had an announcement here tonight that we needed to set up tables and chairs for the dinner on Sunday, but it's done, right? Bless your hearts. You have a servant's heart. Bless your hearts. We appreciate that, guys. Uh, Nathan and. Uh, Lincolnton uh, set all of those up, and so they're all done. God bless you both. We appreciate that. All right, let's take our Bibles, if you don't mind, and we're going to look at a couple of scriptures in relation, um, in relation to this subject here. And we're going to be talking about <clears throat> this idea of communication tonight. And communication is a pretty critical thing in every household, and we're talking uh, about this subject of how to create Peace in the home, shalom in the home. And uh, I trust it's been helpful or edifying. I know all of them are probably not as applicable to everybody, uh, but I trust that it has been helpful in some way or another to you. Things that, uh, you know, we can, uh, we can use. Sometimes we have things we can slip out and reinforce with our children, and that's always a good thing. And uh, our words are very important. How many would agree? 
you can change the atmosphere instantly by how you say things and what you say, uh, the words that you use and the affect or the look that you have when you do that. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really important thing. And to be able to communicate properly is a really important thing. Uh, I'm not a great communicator. I used to think I was. Uh, in the pulpit, there's an anointing, and I'm thankful for that because that covers a multitude. Uh, but uh, in, in reality, I realize that, uh, you know, there are a lot of times when you don't get the full message across. How many of you have ever uh, said something and gone back to somebody and say, I, did I say that right? Of course you did. But how many, let me ask you this question. How many people have, how many of you have ever texted somebody something and then they come up with a completely different idea about what you, yeah, now that's a different response altogether. All right, now let me give you an example of that, okay? And this, this is a real story. This is a real true story. It happened with somebody here in the church here. And uh, mainly my fault. And uh, let me give you an example. We were doing a game this weekend for the young people. We had a real uh, <clears throat> nice, don't read it yet because it won't make sense. We had a, a real nice time with our young people, but I wanted to play a game that I thought was going to be very easy. And it turned out to be one of the most difficult games I'd ever seen. It was painful to watch the young people do it. We even practiced before the game started, and it, was, it went well. And I was confident that this game was going to be a success. And it was a complete, utter, and dismal failure uh, when we did it. But in order to play the game, we needed to have six buckets. Those buckets needed to be five-gallon buckets, okay? So I texted a brother here in the church, and I said, do you have six empty five-gallon buckets for a game? And he responded and said, no, but I can get them at Lowe's, metal or plastic. And I said, the plastic buttons. And then I hadn't heard from him, so I said, did you get the five-gallon buckets? And he said, I'm buying them right now. You want five one-gallon buckets? And I didn't catch that. And then he said, I have six five-gallon buckets. Well, I thought we were good. And he came and had six one-gallon buckets, and there were supposed to be six five-gallon buckets. Now, but this is, this is I, I, never, I never realized this until I went back and looked at the text and realized we're both wrong, or we're both right. That's the way I looked at it. We're both right. But anyway, it's so easy to have that happen, isn't it? Uh, you know, in your communications with people, it's so easy to, to think that you're conveying and communicating the right thing. And it's not always, it's just not always true. It's just not always true. But I do know this, and this is an important thing that I want you to listen to right, right out the gate here, is that in every family, there are things that need to be dealt with. There are things that sometimes are misunderstood. And here's what I want to say to you, that not everything that's faced can be changed. Not everything that is faced can be changed. There's not always easy, easy answers to everything. But nothing can be changed until it's faced. Not everything faced can be changed. But nothing can be changed until it's faced. So you have to... Uh, you have to, conf you have to uh, sometimes communicate properly, and sometimes you just got to sit down, put away the phones, and just sit down and work through something uh, at an appropriate time in an inappropriate way with the appropriate expressions, and you have to do that because uh, the right kind of communication is really critical for the continuance of relationships. 
and for the restoration of relationships. Isn't that right? Because there are often misunderstandings. Even if they're not on your phone, there are misunderstandings. Now, so uh, this, is, this is going to be simple. So I, I, I'll say that just up front here. But let's, let's just see how, how this, uh, how, where this takes us here tonight. Remember now, our goal is to have shalom or peace in the home. And whether it's in the home, whether it's in the church, whether it's at your work, or whatever it is, among friends, whatever it is, the goal is not to have constant strife and conflict because the Holy Spirit never works in an atmosphere of strife. The Holy Spirit doesn't... Brother Branham said he's timid, he's gentle, and he never works in an atmosphere of strife. And so when you have that, whether it's in your home or you have an atmosphere of strife in the church or whatever else, people are offended, then let me tell you something. There's always a hindrance to the moving of the Holy Spirit. There's always a hindrance. And that means that uh, it's not that the Holy Spirit doesn't love us, but maybe we don't achieve the full blessing of what God really intended for us. You remember when Brother Branham went to South Africa, and I was reading the story again today how uh, that the ministers had cornered Brother Branham, and they changed his itinerary. God told him to go here and there and there, and then they cornered him and changed the itinerary, and Brother Branham warned them not to do it, and they did it anyway. And you remember, that's when he took the eucalyptus leaves and he said they were arguing and fussing and going back and forth and debating it. And he said he took the leaves off the tree and spread them over the feet of the brothers. And he said, you've got me over a barrel. He said, I can't afford to leave the country. I just can't go to the airport and fly home. He said, I can't do that. I'm at your mercy. And I have to leave things the way that you've got them arranged here. But he said, you're wrong. You know you're wrong. And he said, there's nothing really that I can do about this. I'm at your mercy. But he said, in time to come, you'll find that I'm right. And when he described that whole scenario, he said they were they were not even in agreement themselves about what should be done. Their language was, you know, they were striving with one another. Well, I want them to go to this church, and I want them to go here, and I want them to go there. And their motives were completely wrong. And Brother Branham could recognize that, and his response was he just drew back. He just drew back away from them and then came back with the leaves and spread them on their feet there. Because God never works. The Holy Spirit never works or remains in an atmosphere of strife and discontent. He never remains in that. And so therefore, our challenge, and really, this will never happen in the church until it begins to happen in your homes. This will never be brought here unless we we practice it in our homes. Isn't that right? Because church order begins not here, but there. And so, therefore, it's a good thing for us to, uh, you know, to practice this at, at home and try to uh, bring that peace in our, in our surroundings uh, as best as we possibly can. So, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. No corrupt communication. If you're wondering what that is, look at the opposite. He says, don't practice this, practice this. And he says, but rather... That which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, what edification simply means, and I've illustrated it before, is this kind of emotion. You're building up instead of tearing down. Okay? I told you it was going to be simple. Edifying somebody, or when you say something that's edifying, you're building someone up. You're you're moving somebody up a little bit rather than tearing them down. We all know what that sounds like and what that feels like. And he says, therefore, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. None. None. 
And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of your redemption. I, I, I think those two verses are side by side because they are, in a sense, very much connected. Because that's one really good way to grieve the Holy Spirit. And if you have the wrong kind of an argument in your household and the wrong kind of discussion, you know how that feels. You can instantly feel a void, empty. You can feel alone. You can feel that coldness in the house. Isn't that right? You know what I'm talking about. When you grieve the Holy Spirit. It's not that you've lost eternal life because that's, that's impossible. But you can grieve him. Brother Branham said he'll go out and hang out on the limb of a tree. And he says he won't come back until things are made right. And then he says... In 31, let all bitterness, all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Those are all conditions of the heart, but they're expressed usually vocally, verbally. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, we obviously, as I said at the beginning here, there are differences of opinion, there are differences in the household because everybody's, uh, everybody's uh, you know, a different person. And as children grow up and they become teenagers and young adults, then you have different opinions and different ideas and what should be allowed and what should be not allowed and so forth. But one thing is for sure that in every household, you've probably got a couple of skunks and a couple of turtles in every household. A couple of skunks and a couple of turtles. Turtles are easy to find because they generally draw back in their shell when something gets negative. Right? If you approach a turtle and run into him, they're going to just pull back in the shell and you're going to have a hard time getting them out. He's not going to come out until he feels absolutely perfectly safe. Right? Some of you are turtles. I can tell by the look on your face. Or you have a turtle in your house. But some people in the house are skunks. How do we know we have skunks in the house? The skunk is one animal that we all know is there when they're upset. When they get upset, everybody knows. Right? In every house, there are usually skunks and turtles. But we will never change anything until our, our love overtakes the fear of discussing things that are sensitive. We'll never change anything until our love for that person overtakes the fear of actually talking about things. Hey, there's there's four words that a lot of men will cringe at. They'll, uh, you know, make all the blood run to their feet. I've I've seen Marine Special Forces guys who absolutely will fall flat on the floor. They'll faint if you say these four words to them. They can face any kind of scenario in any kind of a battle or any kind of a threat. They can handle it. But if their wife comes to them with four words, they can fall flat out on the floor in total fear. And these four words are, we need to talk. And for a lot of men, let me tell you, they can draw back. They can, uh, they can really respond negatively to that. And they'll get on their spaceship and they'll go somewhere else. And a part of it, though, is this, and I want to say this fairly. A part of it is this, is that in our culture and in our society, men are programmed to produce. They're programmed to perform, not to feel. They're programmed to bring home stuff and and to accumulate things and not necessarily to feel about things. Does that make sense? For many men, we are what we accomplish. And what we produce is the thing of value. That's what people look at. 
And so therefore we work at that. And really in order to survive in that system, very often men have to become so dedicated that they can become distant and often especially to their own family. And in that detachment, they can lose contact. They can lose that intimacy uh, with their family, even very innocently and not intentionally, but they can lose it very innocently because they come so, they become so caught up, uh, in, in the, uh, in the pursuit of things or the thing that everyone thinks that this is what I, I need to do. This is what's required of me. And as a result of that, as a result of that, uh, many times they can go through life without relating to their uh, children, especially their, their sons. They can go through a long time without relating to them because uh, they've, they've been occupied with what they felt was the priority. And I'm here tonight to tell you that the priority is not in the amount of stuff that you have, but the priority is in the relationships that you build. And your sons and your daughters need you. And I will tell you something. Once that anger is accumulating in the hearts of your, uh, of your children, it becomes a, a difficult thing for them to be reconciled. Now, I, I will say this. I found this little statement, and I really like it, and I, maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more. But we, we, we sometimes think that children need to come to us, that they need to come into our world and they need to draw uh, wisdom from us or they need to uh, get, th- get questions answered from us. But I think also... I think equally important is that we as parents need to move into the child's world. And, and that's a condescending. And that's not, not a condescending in a bad way. It's not a compromise. But we sometimes need to move into their world to find out what they're actually thinking. You listen to Brother Branham, and he encouraged the people to write down questions so that he could deal with those questions in the COD series that he did. And he said, I do that because I want to know what the people are thinking. I want to know what they're feeling. I want to know where their uh, problems lay and things maybe that I'm not addressing at all. And so he wanted to constantly relate to the people that were regulars under his ministry. Of course, Brother Branham traveled a lot and he was gone. He was not like a regular pastor, we'll say. But he wanted to stay in touch with the people. So he he was exercising this principle of moving into their world, even if it was just a little. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you're struggling with. Tell me what's going on. How was school? How are things going, uh, you know, with your, uh, your potential spouse, you know, or whatever else? And how's things going with the new job that you have? And, and you know what? There's nothing beats a one-on-one uh, conversation with your children when you're able to do it. Nothing beats the one-on-one. That's, to me, that was always, has always been my strategy. And uh, partly because I knew that if they all got together, they could beat me up and I'd be left for dead. But I, I found it more effective when I could just get one-on-one with them and we could go fishing or go for a coffee or go uh, do something there. Now, Brother Branham takes that principle and he applies it to the prodigal son. And he said when the prodigal son left home, he went off into a far country, spent all his living, wound up working in the pig pen and living that way, and finally came to his senses. Listen now to what he says. He finally came to his senses and he realized maybe, he said, Maybe, just maybe, my father would receive me back. And he said, my, servant, my father's servants are treated way better than this. And he said, so I'm going to go. I'm going to return back to my father's house. I'm not going to be a son when I go back. I'll be a servant. And I'll just ask him for a job. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll stay there and work for a while and maybe pay back dad. He said, wonder, he said, if I've got, if I get some money, I could pay that back, whatever I spent in running away with father's money. And then Brother Brandon makes this one statement. He said, but he knew the nature of his father. And he said, I will arise and go to my father. 
Boy, I thought that was a great thing. What a challenge for fathers. I knew the nature of my father. I did not have to wonder what he would say. And then Brother Branham goes on and he describes, he said, when the son showed up, he didn't say, hey, buddy, what are you doing? Where's all the money I gave you? You owe me this back. Brother Branham said he didn't say any of that. He said he just received him with open arms. And he said, this, my son was dead. Killed a fatted calf. Let's have a feast here. My son was dead and now he's alive. And Brother Branham said that happened because he knew the nature of his father. So that tells me that before that boy left home, that father spent enough time with that boy that that boy had seen him in situations and he'd seen him deal with the other servants and he'd seen him uh, around the table and he'd seen him in uh, situations where decisions had to be made. And when he came to that place in the pig pen, he just said, I know my father's nature. He said, I'm going to go back. And the father knew the boy's nature as well. I believe they knew the the boy's nature as well. And then when they, they were able to come back and they were able to embrace one another. And I think that's a wonderful thing. So this idea of corrupt communication covers everything, the communications that you have and the interactions that you have with other people. And I think uh, that that is and those are uh, really important uh, ways that we can think about this. So I want to just just for a moment here, let's look at what Brother Branham says in Jehovah Jireh. And he says, Abraham called those things that were not as though they were because God said so. And he separated himself. Abraham obeyed because he considered everything that God said was true and right. And so therefore he, he obeyed because everything God said so was God saying it. That was, that was enough evidence for Abraham to act. But he said he never was blessed. He never was fully blessed. God never visited him until he separated himself even from Lot. So Abraham was blessed, number one, because God called him, right? God all of a sudden intervened in Abraham's life and led him and gave him a promise and told him to leave and go to a land that he would show him. So he was blessed in that part, but he was not fully blessed. He had no idea of the covenant and the promises and the future that was all going to come. But it never came until he separated himself. Look at the basis for the separation. He says, Lot came up, started arguing and fussing over the pasture land. Look east or west or north or south. Abraham said, you take one way, I'll take the other. He said, that's a Christian spirit. Are you listening tonight? A Christian spirit does not seek to prolong the argument or win at all costs. A Christian does not seek to win at all costs. Brother Bram said, as a Christian spirit, I'm going to give you the choice. My boys often would fight over something like a piece of, maybe an apple. If I had one apple and there was two of them. Or uh, one, one serving of ice cream and I had to divide it into two. Now those are fighting occasions, right, when you have a situation like that. So here's how I'd handle it. I'd say, okay, take the apple. Andrew, you cut it in two. Peter, you pick or you, sir, Andrew, you serve the ice cream in the two bowls. Peter, you get the first pick. Well, obviously, when that happens, you're going to try to make that as even as possible, right? I mean, that's the, that would be the goal. I mean, we're going to weigh it. We're going to measure it. We're going to do anything we can to make sure that he doesn't get more than I do. Because if there's any way that I can get more than him, that is the victory after all. So I'd say to them, you split it. You choose first. 
Boy, that, oftentimes that would settle every kind of an argument. A Christian spirit does not seek to gain, right? So Abraham, hey, listen, he knew, he knew this was the path to God's blessing. He didn't have all of God's blessing yet. That's what Brother Bram just says. He's, he's honored by God because he's chosen, but he doesn't have the full promise yet. But in this, he knows that, that God is not going to operate in this, in this environment of arguing and fussing and the, and the shepherds and the sheep herders, all the rest of them there. So Abraham says, that's a Christian spirit. I'll take the worst side if it has to be. We're brethren. Let's not argue. You want to belong to uh, the assemblies? I'll belong to the other one. We'll be brothers. Don't. He said, then let Lot look the easy way. Abraham took the rough way. Abraham took the mountain, more mountainous area. And he could look down over Sodom and the well-watered plains there. If you're trying to herd sheep, mountains are not your friend. Right? If you're trying to graze cows, mountains are not your friend. Everybody with me? You like pasture land. But Abraham said, hey, listen, I believe enough in a God who provides. Remember, he knew Jehovah Jireh, Right? Jehovah Jireh just didn't occur to Abraham when he was on the mountain with Isaac there. I believe he knew he was the God who provided. And if God's called me out here, he's going to provide for me no matter where he leads me. And so Abraham says, hey, listen, God's not going to operate. I'm not going to get any further. Neither are you in this atmosphere of fussing and arguing. And so therefore, you make the choice. You're going to have to go your way. I'll go my way. Don't try it if you're married. Don't try it if you're married. You go one way, I'll go the other. But in this case here with Abraham and Lot, remember now God's trying to deal with the God's leading Lot out here. The Holy Spirit never comes in. He never entertains an atmosphere of strife. Now, here's Brother Branham again, 1961. And he says, I'd like to state, brethren, maybe that if you would explain it the way you saw it, it might be different from what I would believe, but I'd be glad to listen to what you got to say. Stop for a minute. Don't read any more. You've got to give it to Brother Branham. You've got to hand it to Brother Branham because you can imagine how many things he must have come out and preached that blew people's socks off in the congregation. Uh, number one, he wasn't a Trinitarian. And a lot of people must have come out of curiosity just to see a real non-Trinitarian preach almost like a Trinitarian. Because in reality, Brother Branham was really more of a Trinitarian than any oneness that person ever was. Brother Branham was never oneness. He never, he never even drew close to what a oneness person believes. But he talked about God all the time manifested in three offices. And he, he varied really only in that phraseology where he said he's in three offices, not in three persons. But otherwise, Brother Branham believed in a triune God. He believed in a God that had many masks, and he wore many veils, and he showed up in many ways, and he manifested himself in many forms, but three main forms over time. And so you can imagine how people must have sat and tried to pick Brother Branham's teaching apart. And then he would come out, like in 1957, and talk about serpent seed. And, you know, to introduce that, uh, you know... To, to, to actually say the words in that environment of people who are mostly holiness people back in that day and to imply that this is actually what happened in the Garden of Eden. Or you can imagine how Brother Bannon must have talked about eternal life and election and how that, uh, you know, if, if God had attributes and if you ever have eternal life, you always had a, eternal life. Let me tell you, this, the simple statements that we make, like I just made, 
were mysteries that people probed at through the ages and wondered at and wrote books at. I've got books in my office there by A.W. Pink and Spurgeon and all them who wondered about election and how it actually all worked. And then Brother Branham comes along and says, well, you know, he says we believe in an election and predestination. On page 44, proving his word, he says it's the same thing. But he says, remember, God had attributes. And attributes meant that There's an eternal quality about a person who pre-existed in the loins or in the mind of another person before they actually were expressed upon the earth. So there was something happening about you that didn't happen in the pew. It happened in the mind of God before the world ever began. And Brother Branham takes that loose end and brings this loose end over here and ties it together. And people are looking at that and saying, you know, wow, ah. How do you dispute this when it becomes so clear in the Scripture? I mean, that does, you can imagine how the letters he must have got. You can imagine the correspondence he must have got and the questions he must have got. So here he is now at the beginning of Daniel's 70 weeks. And he's going to preach on the fact that there is not a seven-year tribulation, which the majority of Protestants in the world have always believed that there's a seven-year tribulation. And here's Brother Random comes along and says, well, the Messiah was cut off halfway through that week. And he has three and a half years left. He goes to Revelation 11 and points to that over there. And hey, the picture becomes clear, right? I mean, it's not a mystery to me. Or how the church doesn't go through tribulation, but, uh, you know, sorry, the bride doesn't go through tribulation, but the church does. And and the, the rest of the Gentiles go through that time. And all of those things connected together. And here he is in the 70th week of Daniel. And he knows, he knows what this is going to bring. And he says, I'd like to state, brothers... Maybe if you would explain it the way you saw it, it might be different from what I would believe. But I'd be glad to listen to what you got to say. You talk about disarming people. He's disarming the situation so the people are not there. I mean, you could say this this way. Now, look, folks, you've got an idea. You've got a doctrine. You've got a denominational teaching. I don't care. You know what? I believe God's spoken to me, and this is the way it is. He could have easily said that. But he didn't. He's disarming the situation and says, I'd be glad to listen to what you say. It's with that thought, it's with the thought that I bring these messages from God's word in my heart. It's for the edifying of the church, for all the church, church universal, Christ church universal. And I certainly do believe that we're living in the last day. And my endeavor is to explain this and yet not push it one way or the other. I've never been guilty of it, as I know of doing that. So I'm not trying to ram this down your throat, and I'm not trying to mess anybody up. But he says, I'm just giving it to you the way that God gives it to me. And he said, I'm just looking at this from the scriptural perspective here. He says, we're living in this last day. Certain things got to happen. And if, if we are truly living in the last day, then you know what? The Bible does talk about a prophet who would come in the last day. And the word of the Lord comes to the prophet. He's not pushing that. But he's just saying that I'm not here to be some sort of a know-it-all. Neither am I here to contest you. I'm not here to contend with you. I, I'm not here to wrestle this out with you here. He says, I'd be willing to listen to what you have to say. But I I, I am going to be faithful to what God has shared with me. I I don't know whether you're catching what I'm saying, but I think it's a nice thing to be able to share the conviction that you have upon your heart without making somebody else feel bad because you have a conviction. Because there are some people who have a really hard head. And when hard heads go at it, they only really wind up proving who's got the harder head. 
And it doesn't really edify anybody. Many times, same quote, people hear from tapes and they say, well, I disagree with that. And he just don't know what he's teaching, doesn't know the scripture. Well, that may be true. You know, I mean, you say that, that may be true. See, I, I wouldn't say that isn't true, but to me, I study it, not taking any words. I read what other men has to say and I appreciate them. And everything that anyone says, like pause, if you read what A.W. Pink or Spurgeon or even John Wesley and them, you read what they have to say, they take it so far. They took it so far doctrinally. They took it so far theologically. But then they kind of ran out. They had nothing else to stand on. And so he says, I read what other men have to say, and I appreciate them. And everything that anyone says, I appreciate it. But then I take it to God, and I stay with it until I can explain it from Genesis to Revelation, and then see all hook, it all hooks up in the Bible, and then I know it's near right. Does that make sense? Or, I mean, you can see that that's an attitude that he has, that, uh, you know, I'm not relying on their intellect, I'm not relying on their revelation, And I'm not relying on my intellect either. But what I don't know, I bring to God. And when God shows me, I can take the loose ends and bring them together. And that, my friends, is my ministry. That was his ministry. To tie together loose ends. Do you believe that? He was a restorer. Elijah is a restorer. Elijah took the stones and rebuilt the altar. And then appealed to God. He's a restorer. And here's Brother Branham saying, through the ages, there are all kinds of loose ends. And he said, I, I, I collect, you know, I read, I study, I pray, do all of those things. And he says, and then everything, then I take it to God. And I, I, I look at this, there's gaps or there's things here I don't know. And he says, I take it to God. You remember what he said about the seals? He said, I, I, I have no idea what the second seal is, no more than nothing. He said, here's the first one, but I don't know what the second one is. He's depending on God to do that. And in his attitude of preaching it, and in his attitude of communicating it, he's not saying, look, folks, I know more than you. He's not doing that at all. He's just saying we're all dependent on God. We're all really dependent on God to help bring this picture together. For me to be able to preach it and for you to be able to understand and get a revelation of it, we're all dependent on God. And this is not something he's fighting the people with. He's fighting the spirits that would oppose it. But he's bringing this to the people. He says, as long as I can explain it and I can see it in the scripture, Genesis to Revelation, then he said, I know it's somewhere near right. And that's how he's proceeding. And he's doing this in the message, Daniel, 70 weeks. Are we okay? Thy word, he says, have I hid in my heart. David says, hide God's word away in your heart, and then God will keep that word. God has to keep his word. God doesn't have to heal to prove his power. He has to heal to keep his word. Here's the thing you can trust, that God's going to keep his word. If it's God's word, you just stay with that. If it's God's word, it's going to, be, it's going to come out right. He doesn't have to heal to prove his power, but rather he heals to keep his word He doesn't have to prove anything. He's God. That's what he speaks. He's obligated to his word. And so that's why the scripture says that we should uh, let our yea be yea and our nay be nay. All right, let's go to our text here, if you don't mind. Me and my preambles. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. What does that mean? Let's take a look at some of the words here. Nope. (laughs) We're dealing with buckets there. Brother Branham said that Job had a channel of inspiration. And he said he had a channel to communicate with God 
by his inspiration. He had a way of moving out and let the word of God move in. A preacher's gift is not really to share what he knows in an eloquent way, but rather to come with the inspiration that God gives him and then let God take over. To move, Brother Bram described it as moving out of the way, getting out of the way, and then letting the Holy Spirit speak. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will do that in very, very simple ways. But Job had a way of moving himself out and let the Word of God move in. And notice how they came to consult him from the east and the west. And people looking for him because they knew what Job said was the truth. They knew that man told the truth. Because what he prophesied, that's what happened. So Job was a person who waited on God and got an answer, held with that. And that was an attractive thing to people. He was able to talk to people. Now... um, The scripture also says, we'll come, we'll come back to the text in just a moment here. The scripture talks about communicating. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Somebody who is taught in the word should be a sharer. And this is the definition here below. A sharer. Somebody who associates or partners with somebody to share. I think that when it comes to the idea of fathering and even in in our homes, that we're going to communicate what we know and share that in a way that is like two people in fellowship, like the first part of the verse there, to come into a communion, to be a sharer. So I'm, there are times when, especially as your children get older, uh, it's not just a, because I said so, but it's more, let me share with you what the Bible says about that particular thing. You want to have a nose ring. Okay, let's look in the scripture, see if it says anything about that. Or let's, uh, whatever subject, or, you know, a movie theater or something else. Let's, let's, let's research it. Let's find out. Because this is not mom and dad's rule. These are things that have been stated about our time and warnings for us. And remember now, when it comes to hedges, and this is the conversation with your children, God places hedges in our lives not to limit us from having any fun or freedom, but rather to protect us from the evil one who's on the other side of the hedge. So hedges are not there for your, uh, for your uh, demise. Hedges are there because God loves you. And so we had to respect that. If God places a hedge there, there's a reason why that that's there. And some laws that are made and some things that are, that are uh, you know, determined even by our society are there for that reason. So that's why 12-year-old kids don't apply and get a driver's license. We're almost there, it seems like. But those are good laws. And so those are there for protection. Now... James writes, and in, in, this is our text that we read, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift, speedy to hear, and dull. <laughs> it, and it means uh, regressive. It, it, it means slow to speak. In other words, you're going to be reluctant. You're going to be dull. Uh, you, you ever have been in a conversation with somebody, and it might be your husband, uh, especially if you talk to him at night. And you're, you're trying to explain something about maybe something that needs to be decided upon, and he's got this dull, glazed-over look, and he's, 
And if you look away long enough, you, you hear another sound, right? And the sound is... And you say, well, you're so dull when it comes to these conversations. Well, we should have them before 1 a.m. That word dull, all I'm doing is illustrating the word dull. All you women you can relate to that. Remember, 10 o'clock is the new midnight for guys over 50. James is actually using that kind of an idea. And I didn't put all the definition there. But it means that when it comes to you speaking out, when it comes to you lashing back, be as dull as you can. Don't be quick at that. Be quick to hear. Let's look at it this way. God gave you two eyes, one mouth. So look twice before you speak. God gave you two ears, one mouth. Do twice as much listening as speaking. I'm just saying that. The word speak there, which we should be slow at, means, and this is the Bible definition here, to use words to declare one's minds and disclose one's thought. Well, I'll give him a piece of my mind. I'll tell him. I'll tell her. Let me give you a piece of advice. You'd be real slow with that. You go real slow with that. Don't just jump out in anger and do that. Because it's really hard sometimes to get those words back into your mouth after they've gone out. I mean, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Is that all right? I feel pretty safe in doing this. And be slow, same word in the Greek, Dull, glazed over, your husband at 1 o'clock in the morning. Dull to wrath. Wrath meaning temper, agitation, any violent emotion, but especially anger. Anger exhibited in punishment like what a magistrate would determine. So if you've got a temper and you like to tell people off, and you like to, you know, give people a piece of your mind because they disagreed with you or whatever else, my advice to you is to learn to be slow at that. Really slow and dull. Don't jump in and give people a piece of your mind. But rather be quick to hear. Because many times the misunderstandings occur because we didn't always hear right. Or we didn't hear at all. Hey, listen, think about how God deals with us, right? Think about how God deals with us in our, uh, in our everyday life. And there are times when we, hey, we get flat out busy and we're, you know, we got a full schedule. We got a full roster that day. And sometimes God's just trying to get through to us. He's trying to speak to us. And there are times when we just kind of pass right over that. And the only way that God's got then is to speak louder. And to speak louder. And I will tell you that God's got really creative ways in how to speak louder. God's got really interesting and creative ways in how to think, how to speak louder. So the Bible says, again, For he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Is this the same wrath that James refers to here? So this wrath is the is the, the action of a magistrate. We often say, and we often preach to people, 
You don't want to be around when the wrath of God falls. You don't want to be here when the wrath of God is executed on this earth. You don't want to be around when God makes everything right. When all those wrongs and sins and all those perversions are all accounted for. And God who sees it all and knows it all. When God says, all right, you've destroyed the earth. You've destroyed people long enough. Now is the time of judgment. Grace is over. You don't want to be around during a time like that. And what James is telling us in the scripture we read. What James is telling us is exactly the same thing. You be slow to wrath. Leave that to God. Take your concerns to God and talk to somebody in a time when it's reasonable or when you're not uh, as explosive or as, as angry. And, and to me, if you want to have shalom in the home, that's how we begin to practice it. Is that make, am I making sense? All right, let me go just a little further. Okay, about that time, Brother Branham said that Satan looked over the rim. This is in the days of Noah, and he saw that little boat. Sorry, in the days of Jesus when the disciples were out on the, on the lake with Jesus. And he thought, well, here's my opportunity. So tonight, every individual, every church, every member of the church, when Satan sees you alone without Jesus, it's his opportunity to smite you. He watches over us. He watches for openings. And he begins to breathe and blow from his nostrils, great powerful winds. And sin from Satan will make anything have a nervous prostration. When Satan moves, it'll, it'll cause a disruption, right? It'll not be a positive thing. It'll be a fearful thing. And sin from Satan will make everyone, anyone, anything have a nervous prostration. That's why we have so many nervous breakdowns. Insane institutions fill up. We got people running 30 miles uh, in, in a uh, 90 miles an hour in a 30 mile zone, squeezing all the rubber off their tires on our parking lot out here. They're in a nervous, neurotic state. They don't know what to do. The world is nervous and upset. They don't know where they're standing. The more insecure you are, the more dogmatic and demanding you become. The more insecure you are, the more dogmatic and demanding you become. And if that's the way you conduct your marriage or things in your home where you're trying to control everybody because you're insecure, that's not a recipe for a long-lasting relationship. Your kids will try to find anywhere else to be but home. And every little thing running out here is because Satan's got to push out his poison breath and begins to blow the winds of strife, breaking churches apart, separating brotherhood, making people think they're a little better than someone else. Uh, I, I hope... Uh, I, I, just like, I just like to say this, that what he's describing here is very real. And I just trust that it never happens here where people feel like, um, we don't need to go to any other church. We don't need to cooperate with any other church because we've got it all here. And we're actually better than most people because we've got it all here at HBT. And we've we got a great pastor and we've got a great program and we've got a great fellowship hall and we've got a great choir and we've got this and that. And when we begin to feel like we're better than somebody else or they belong in a different, people feel like they belong in a different bracket. They belong to a better church. And therefore, I don't need to cooperate. I don't need to be friendly to other people. I don't need to welcome other people who might come. Listen to what he says. There's only one church. That's the church of Jesus Christ. And the only way to get it in is by the birth. And God does not look at your denomination. God doesn't look at the name of your message church. Because we're not talking about denominations or two denominational people at this point. He looks at the brand that's on you. And that's the blood. 
So let me leave you with this thought. Proverbs chapter 12. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Think about this. There is, there is this way of speaking, which is like the stabbing, and that word piercings is, is the word, the Hebrew word for stabbing. There is that way of speaking like the stabbing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is actually health, it is care, it is healing. We find that phrase in this little section in Scripture. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkened unto counsel is wise. A person who is a fool is always right in their own eyes. That's what makes him a fool, right? A fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covereth shame. He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness, the only thing that he shows is deceit. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health, and the lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is not for a moment. And, and Solomon is actually encouraging us to make sure that we, when, we, when we're consistently honest and accurate and sensitive in what we say, he said, the lip of, the, uh, of truth shall be established forever. In other words, that man's words in his own household, in his own family, that prodigal son who was off in, into another country, he never forgot the words of his father because his father, he must have seen his father consistently deal the right way with all of the servants in his house. Here's a man who's fair. Here's a man who's just. Here's a man who's honorable and has integrity in dealing with his servants. And, and, and this is not forgotten if, by a son who's way off in another country and living a different kind of a life. But it's established forever in the heart of that son. He doesn't forget it. And so, therefore, the right communication by any parent, to me, is a profitable thing. Because we can provoke one another to negative things. Here's Psalm 106. And then stood up Phineas and executed judgment, and so the plague was stayed. This is David describing the history of Israel. And that was counted unto him for righteousness. This is Phineas and all generations forevermore. But they angered Moses. The people's words angered Moses, complaining and, and uh, murmuring, also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sake, because they provoked his spirit so that he spoke unadvisedly with his lips. And you remember when he spoke that way? God judged him and said, you're not going to see the promised land. You remember that? This is the same principle that God uses over in Ephesians where he says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Because you don't want them to speak unadvisably. You don't want them to speak and say the wrong things. Because you can provoke people to say the wrong thing. You can provoke people to do the wrong thing. <clears throat> Brother Branham describes here how the children of Israel and how they... You know, they were in the will of God. They were marching through the desert. And he said a hot night, and it was, you know, uh, difficult for them. He said they were out in the desert, and the children cried, and the dogs barked, and the cattle lowed out in the field there. And he said it was difficult. And Moses, he said, this is where he says it was a dreadful time for Moses. Because being in the will of God is not always an easy thing. And to speak, uh, to communicate wisely and well with, with each other is not hard in a good environment. It's when things change. Right? It's when things go, go west. That's when it becomes more difficult. And we're tired. And we feel frustrated. And then, you know, somebody's, somebody's pushing us for a response. 
Let's stand to our feet. I want to stop here and let's let our musicians come here. Don't, don't quit on me. I want to pray with you here tonight. Because there's not a one of us here because we're human beings and even true believers because we're in these human bodies. We get frustrated and we get tense. We get overworked. We get unappreciated. We get criticism sometimes. Things don't go just according to plan with your family. They don't go according to plan with your children. Everything doesn't turn out the way we had prayed and desired, and sometimes things go squirrely. We know that that's true. But to me, the thing that's important here, if we take away anything from this tonight, is that we want to be swift to hear and slow to speak. We want to be as dull as we can at blaming somebody or saying the wrong thing. Lord, let me listen, and listen well, because... There may be something that I need to change or something that I need to do in order to promote the right kind of, a better kind of an atmosphere or a better kind of a strategy, better, maybe more patience or whatever else it might be. And sometimes, sometimes it's in the art of hearing that we do our best communicating. It's in the art of hearing and listening to somebody that we do our best communicating. Let's bow our heads together. Sister Becky will play just a little bit. With your eyes closed here, how many of you would like to just slip your hand up and just say, say to the Holy Spirit as he passes by, Lord, help me to be, help me to be slow to speak. And let let me be slower to speak. And let me be quick to hear. Lord, help me now react out of anger. Heavenly Father, you see the hands that are raised. and Lord, our desire is to do everything, no matter where we are, no matter what our environment is, no matter what the circumstance, to do everything in a way that pleases you. And to conduct ourselves and our affairs and our households, Lord, in a way that the Holy Spirit is not grieved. He's not forced out of our home. And Lord, in order to do that, we we need to practice this little thing that James tells us here. Because we can never take our words back. And so, Lord, we want to be slow. We want to be dull in pronouncing judgment on things or criticisms, Lord. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just deal with our hearts. Lord, forgive us. And I, I say, Lord, as an individual and Lord, as a man among people of like precious faith, Lord, I, I just ask that you'd forgive us of maybe things we jumped at or things we said too quickly. We give thanks for the Holy Spirit that reminds us of things like this, that we can, we can just be a little more sound and a little more patient. Life is fleeting, and Lord, we want to make the most of it. So help us, Lord, to do everything we can to edify one another. Like Paul says, not corrupt communication, but 
whatever we do, that we could edify one another. Father, we give thanks for your Holy Spirit and how you teach us, Lord, and how you help us to apply the Word of God. And Lord, we see from Brother Branham with all the criticisms that he must have had, all the objections to his teaching, Lord, but he, he doesn't come out at the people swinging. He comes out, Lord, with a gracious heart. Father, he's just a real example to us. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Now bless each one, Lord, the hands that are raised. And Father, we commit each one to you. And thank you for this little time together. In Jesus Christ's lovely name, we pray. Deal with us, Lord, according to grace and not your judgment, but according to grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be
you go tonight. God bless you. Good to have all of you here tonight with us. Remember, Sunday we have our dinner with our graduates, so everyone is, uh, I think, aware of what we're, we're doing for that. We appreciate all that's going into that. I believe Josh Bennett has his meeting this week. starts tomorrow. It goes through the next few nights there. May God bless you as you go. Good to have all of you with us uh, tonight, and may the Lord bless the balance of your week and all that you do. Let's sing it. I'll meet you there. I'll meet Sing it as you go tonight. God bless you. And between the wings of the cherubim, I'll Again, come.